as you're making your way back down the motorway, some of you today, please don't complain about the journey because our next speaker has come 23 hours by plane to be here. If, you know, if availability and time is a mark and a sign of friendship, then he's demonstrated that to this movement by coming all this way. And we're just going to just sit under the word and just draw from him. Should we just welcome Pastor Boyd Ratnaraja as he comes to the stage? Can I just pray for you? Is that good, yeah? Father, we just thank you for Boyd, and we thank you for the word that you place in his heart. May, may he come and speak as if speaking the very words of God this morning. We know your, your word does not return to you void. It achieves the purposes for which it's sent, so we open up our hearts, and we're ready to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Can we praise him for a moment? Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's a Real joy and a privilege to be here. Thank you, Pastor Chris Cartwright, uh, for your invitation. Let me tell you, that worship, what just took place, that was worth 32 hours to get here from the ends of the earth to be in the United Kingdom. And so good to be here. Thanks so much for having us. It's so good to have Pastor Nu uh, and his dear wife and their two girls all the way from New Zealand as well. Can we give them a big welcome? And Thank you so much. And I think we need to thank Sam Blake and the amazing worship team. That was fantastic. Come on, give these guys a big hand as well. That's awesome. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to study this text together this morning. In Joshua chapter 1, we read about a defining moment in Joshua's life. God had a strategic conversation with Joshua, Joshua had been Moses' assistant for many years, and then God has this incredible, life-changing conversation with him. Let's look at it together. Joshua chapter one, verses two to seven. Mo Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Najib wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Ephrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, the Marmites, and the Vegemites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. That's a word for somebody here this morning. Will you say amen if that's you? Be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I saw to their fathers and sisters who would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right, right to the, or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. In that passage of scripture that we just read together, God gave Joshua some very intentional statements. Here's the first one. Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. I often wondered why God had to tell Joshua Moses was dead. I'm sure Joshua knew his leader was already dead. I'm sure everyone in Israel got a notification that said Moses is dead. And they all updated their Facebook status that said, feeling sad with a 
sad emoji. If, I have, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. You're not missing out on anything. You are saving yourself a whole lot of time and energy. I'm sure everyone knew Moses was dead. Why in the world did God remind Joshua of something very obvious? I, I, I believe with all my heart, God was very intentional in saying those words to Joshua. I wonder why he said that. Listen carefully. I believe God was very intentional in saying those words to Joshua to remind him that even though Moses was dead, the promise of entering the promised land is still alive. Even though Moses is dead, the promise of entering the promised land is still alive. In other words, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, the promise still stands. The vision is still alive. In other words, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, don't focus on what has happened. I want you to stay focused on where I am taking you because where you have been is greater than where you are going. I believe there are people here this morning, you came to this conference feeling absolutely discouraged. You're on the verge of quitting because something died on the inside of you. Your Moses is dead and you feel like, that's it, it's all over. This is the end of it. Maybe 2018 hasn't been a, a, a great year for you. It has been a tough year for you. All you have been hearing is bad news after bad news. Or all you've been seeing uh, is one door after another door closed. So all you have been experiencing is disappointment after disappointment. You've been praying for your church, for your community, God to do something in your church, in your community, in your marriage, in your family, and another year has gone by and you feel like nothing is happening and God is silent. You feel so drained in that passion and that vision, that enthusiasm that you once had has all gone out the window and here you are today sitting, thinking what's the point of it all. You feel like your Moses is dead. I believe God wants to say to you this morning, things around you may be dead, but the promise is still alive. Things around you in the natural may be dead, but the promise is still alive. Can I get an amen if you believe that? Listen carefully, one, chap one bad chapter doesn't mean your story is over. It ain't over until God says it's over. The promise is still alive, the promise still stands. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what you're facing this morning, I pray that you will leave this conference with a renewed vision, a renewed passion, knowing that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Let me tell you, if God has started it, he is faithful to complete it. Secondly, God reminds Joshua Moses is dead in order to tell him, I have new strategies for the new season that is ahead. God did some incredible things through Moses and through his staff, through what was in his hand. He used that stick that was in Moses' hand to part the Red Sea when Moses struck the rock with the stick. Water gushed out. Now God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, I have some new strategies for the new season that is ahead. I'm not gonna use a stick. You no longer need to use a stick. In fact, you don't need to buy a new stick, you don't need a new stick. I'm about to do something new. In that, in that season, God used a stick. In this season, I'm gonna use a sword. Joshua, you've gotta fight some battles. And the truth is, we don't fight battles with sticks, we fight battles with swords. 
I'm giving you a sword, which is my word, and if you will obey my word and follow my instructions and not deviate from it, then you will be successful and prosperous in everything you do. And God says to him, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for I am with you wherever you go. And I believe that God is saying the exact same thing to us this morning. I really believe God is saying this to every church leader, every staff member, every leader, every person who is part of leadership teams here. God is saying to us, you no longer need a stick. I'm giving you new strategies, new methods, new systems that you need for this new season. But in order for that to happen, it all, it all depends on our ability to handle change. Everybody say change. Here's the truth. We cannot fight tomorrow's battles with yesterday's thinking. We cannot fight tomorrow's battles with yesterday's thinking. Let me tell you, methods change, but the message stays the same. God said to Joshua, it's a new day. I'm gonna do it a different way this time. The truth is, a new day requires new attitudes. A new day requires new adjustments. A new day requires new perspective. A new day requires new actions. A new day requires new creativity. The truth is, if we want to enter the future, we've got to let go of the past. God is saying to people here this morning, you no longer need a stick, I'm giving you a sword. But the truth is, a sword is no use if it just sits there as a display. A sword doesn't fulfill its purpose if it just sits there. God wants to say to someone here, it's time to stop looking at the stick and it's time to pick up the sword and step into your God-given calling, your destiny. He's telling you this morning, it's time to step up and step out. But in order for us to do that, it's gonna require us to make new adjustments, new, have new attitudes, take new actions, have new perspectives. It will require us to let go of some methods and it's gonna require us to let go of the stick and pick up the sword for the season that is, ahead, that is ahead based on this passage of scripture that we read and based on the story. I really wanna give us three key commitments that I believe that every leader needs to make in order to step into the journey ahead. Three commitments every leader needs to make. Here's the first one. We need to make a commitment, number one, to see nations saved. We need to make a commitment to see nations saved. Can you give me a big amen if you believe that this morning? I am so excited that we are part of a global movement. What we saw last night, nations here on this platform lifting up the name of Jesus. Wow, that was amazing. That was powerful. Let me tell you, we are not going to see nations change if we carry a mindset where we say, we're gonna just do our own thing over here and we're not gonna worry about others. Let me tell you, it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. That is not a kingdom spirit. We're living in days where this world needs Jesus more than ever before. And I believe with all my heart that God has strategically placed Elam in 56 nations for such a time as this to be the solution, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Can you give a big amen if you believe that? If we wanna see this nation change, if we wanna see the nations of this world saved for Jesus, we need to make a commitment where we say, we are going to be climbers, not campers. We're gonna be climbers, not campers. In the Swiss Alps, there is a mountain, and, 
and it takes about a day to climb to the top of this mountain. People come from all over the world to climb this mountain. They start out, uh, they start out early in the morning, they put on their camping gear, and they start climbing, but when they get halfway, there is a place called a halfway house where they stop uh, and they take a break and they take off their camping gears. They sit by the fireplace and they have lunch and it's comfortable and it's nice. And, uh, and the guides say without exception, when it's time to put your climbing gear back on and, and keep climbing, they lose half the people who started the journey with them. Uh, the, 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 these people, they, they choose to sit by the fireplace and they settle for partial success at midpoint while the rest of the group continues to climb uh, to the top of the mountain. And, they, and later on the day, the group comes back and they're excited, they're celebrating because they've had a mountaintop experience. But the people who chose to sit by the fireplace go really silent because they realize that they too could have had a mountaintop experience, but they chose to give up halfway through. They chose to settle at midpoint. Let me tell you, if we wanna see nations saved for Jesus, we need to carry a spirit where we say, we refuse to be complacent. We refuse to settle by the fireplace. We refuse to be settlers. We are pioneers. We are pioneers. Let me tell you, if we wanna see this nation saved for Jesus, we need to make a commitment where we refuse to be campers. We are pioneers. As long as heaven and hell is real, we're gonna keep climbing. We refuse to camp by the fireplace. If we have to add another church service, we're gonna do it. Why? So that we can see nations reach for Jesus. We can see souls saved for Jesus. If we have to take down a wall and make bigger space in our church buildings, we're gonna do it. Why? Because we wanna see lives changed for Jesus. If we have to give sacrificially, we are gonna give sacrificially, why? So that we can see people saved for Jesus. At Elam, we refuse to be campers. We are gonna keep climbing as long as there's one lost person who's out there that needs to be reached for Jesus. It takes every single one of us to see nations saved. Here's another one. If we wanna see a nation saved, we need to realize we have one enemy. You don't have a lot of enemies. You have one enemy. Let me tell you, our enemy is not the church down the road. Our enemy is not another pastor. Our enemy is not another denomination. Our enemy is not the all blacks. I was walking out of this conference center with Marvin Jones the other night and he said to me, I said to him, have a good sleep. And he said, yes, I'm going to bed. And he said, I'm gonna dream about whales beating the old blacks, 65 nil. After he left, I said, in my spirit, quietly, in your dreams, buddy. <laughs> Only in your dreams, keep dreaming. We have one enemy, and that is the devil. When we realize that we stop getting mad with each other, at each other, and we start getting mad at the devil, if we wanna see a nation change, it will require us to say to people in our communities, in our cities, come as you are. Come as you are. That should be our message. We can't dictate who we want in our churches. The problem is we want people to act saved before they are saved. We need to open our doors and say to people, come as you are. 
You are always welcome. That's, that's the first step. I pastor a church in Auckland, in South Auckland. Let me tell you, if you come to our church, we've got anyone and everyone. Chris has spoken at our church. I remember I had to take a wedding. I had to officiate a wedding service of one of the gang members who had recently given his heart to the Lord after a motorbike accident. And I remember before the service started, I looked around to see who was in the chapel. Let me tell you, it was packed with gang members. They all had their jackets on, they had piercings, they had you know, anything and everything, tattoos, you mentioned it, they were all there. Uh, it was packed with gang members who had never been to church. They all had their patch jackets on. Some of them were smoking, even though there were signs that said, do not smoke, they were smoking. Uh, during the service, I asked Charlie, who was getting married to Paula, if he would take Paula to be his lawfully wedded wife, before Charlie said, I do, all the gang members were shouting out, do it, Charlie, do it, Charlie, do it, Charlie. And, and, and then when Charlie say, said, I do, they were all cheering and screaming for joy. Some of them were crying. When I asked Paula to put the wedding ring, uh, sorry, when, when, when I asked Paula to put the wedding ring on Charlie's finger, Charlie goes to me, Pastor, I don't have a ring finger. And I was like, I beg your pardon? He goes, I don't have a ring finger. I said to him, this is during the service. I said to him, what happened to your ring finger? He goes, I lost my ring finger in the motorbike accident. And he goes to me, what do I do? I was like, I don't know. This is not in my manual. <laughs> I said to Charlie, Charlie, any ring, any finger would do, bro. I just, to this day, I have no idea if they put their ring on. The whole time this was happening, all I had in my head was the little kid saying to his mom, Mommy, Charlie bit my finger. <laughs> Here's the most incredible thing about Charlie and Paula. That was the first wedding in five generations. That was the first wedding in five generations. That was the first time some of these gang members had ever stepped foot into a church. When we say, come as you are, they will come as they are. Let me tell you, church is not a museum for perfect people. The church is a hospital for the broken. Come as you are. If we want to see a nation change, we want to see nations saved, we need to embrace our identity. We're called to be Elam. We are not called to be another denomination. We're not called to be another church or another movement. We are called to be Elam. Let me tell you, that's who God has called us to be. The more we embrace our DNA, the more we embrace our identity and carry it well, the more we will see the hand of God on us as a movement. Often we, we look at someone else and we, we look over the fence and we say, wow, the grass is greener on the other side. Let me tell you, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. I heard about these three guys. They worked at a construction site and every day they would sit by the bridge and they'll have lunch. One was an, uh, was an Italian and the other one was an Irishman and the other one was an Australian. Every day they would sit by this bridge and they'll have lunch together. Uh, the, 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 one day the Italian opened his lunchbox and he goes, salami. He goes, I'm sick and tired of salami. If my wife packs me salami again, I'm gonna throw it out, the, throw it out and I'm gonna jump off the bridge tomorrow. Uh, the Irishman opened his lunchbox and he goes, potato salad. He goes, I'm sick of potato salad. If my wife packs me potato salad tomorrow, I'm gonna jump off the bridge too. The Australian opened his lunchbox and he, and he noticed he, he had Vegemite 
Vegemite sandwiches. Do you guys know what Vegemite sandwiches? All right, he, he goes, Vegemite sandwiches. He goes, I hate Vegemite sandwiches. He said, if I get Vegemite sandwiches tomorrow, I'm gonna jump off the bridge too. The next day, here they were at the same spot, same place having lunch. The, 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 the Italian opened his lunchbox and he goes, I can't believe I've been given salami. I told my wife, he got rid of it and he jumped off the bridge. The, the Irishman opened his lunchbox and he was like, potato salad. He threw his lunchbox and he joined the Italian and he jumped off the, the bridge. The, the Australian, he opened his lunchbox and he goes, Vegemite sandwiches. He goes, I hate Vegemite sandwiches. And he joined the other two and jumped off the bridge. A week later, the three widows were sitting there at the funeral crying. They were sobbing. The Italian widow said, I wish my husband had told me he hated salami. I would have picked him something different. The Irish widow said, I wish my husband had told me he hated potato salad. Potato salad, I would have packed him something different. The Australian widow said, I'm a bit confused. I don't know why my husband jumped off the bridge because he packed his own lunch. <laughs> the truth is when you don't know your identity, you are gonna jump off the bridge for anything and with everyone. We need to embrace our identity, know what we stand for and what we uniquely carry. The first commitment is to see nations saved. Here's number two, we must be committed to raising up the next generation. We must be committed to raising up the next generations. Last year was a life-changing year for me personally. Uh, at the start of the year, Pastor Luke Bro, who is my spiritual father, and uh, he was our former national leader and the senior pastor of the largest Elam church, uh, he asked me to join, uh, join him on a trip to India and Sri Lanka. For those of you uh, who don't know me, I'm originally from Sri Lanka. Uh, 20 years ago, my family uh, and I came to New Zealand as refugees from Sri Lanka. For those of you who don't know where Sri Lanka is, Sri Lanka is known for two things. We were the cricket world champions in 1995, and I'm still talking about it. Uh, we, are also, uh, we are also known for Dilma tea. How many of you drink Dilma tea? Raise your hand. No one. That's what we're gonna be drinking in heaven. But anyway, you're missing out. So anyway, Sri Lanka, uh, as a, re a result of the civil war uh, that took place almost 30 years ago, over 300,000 people uh, have, uh, have died as a result of this war. So we lived in different parts of the country because of the war, and then we moved to New Zealand in 1999. And my parents ran an orphanage, uh, and they had over 150 orphans uh, uh, back then. Uh, and I had not been to this place for almost 27 years. Years. I left that place when I was nine. I'm 36 years old now. And so Pastor Luke said to me, while we were there, we were gonna to go to the orphanage. My parents were running. We were gonna go and check out my place of birth. It was basically like the movie Lion, where the boy Saru goes back to his home, hometown, his place of birth. To be honest, I had no idea what to expect. I'm never planning to go back. So Pastor Luke and myself, we went there, and I got to stand on the spot uh, uh, where I prayed as a four-year-old. I gave my heart to the Lord, and, and, and that night, I knew God was calling me to be a pastor. Uh, my mom and dad, they used to have prayer meetings every night where all the staff and all the 
orphans would come together. Uh, and they had over 140 orphans there. So as a four-year-old boy, I remember leading myself to the Lord and I, and I, and I said, God, I wanna serve you for the rest of my life. And, and I knew God was calling me to be a pastor. But then I thought, I'm not gonna wait till I'm 50 or 60 years old to be a pastor. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna be a pastor. So I started a church. I, I, my name is Boyd and I have a twin called Lloyd. Boyd and Lloyd. My parents were very happy when we were born. So they're just a Boyd, Lloyd, Floyd, avoid them all. Uh, so anyway, uh, so we started a church. I had eight neighborhood kids who joined my church. We had two dogs. They were the worship team. And let me tell you, uh, we were the fastest growing church in our region. We were the fastest growing church. And I remember mom and dad would take us to church in the morning, the real church. And I'll never forget when we went there, one time they had a baptism service. And I thought, I really like this. We need to have baptisms. Uh, and when we came home, uh, I'm telling you the honest truth. My mom and dad had this big fish tank uh, and it, had to be, it hadn't been cleaned for years, in fact, centuries. It was, the, the, it was the dirtiest water you can ever think of. And I said to my congregation of eight plus my three dogs, who, who, who wants to be baptized? No one put their hand up. And I looked at my brother and I said, put your hand up. <laughs> he put his hand up. And, and I always wanted to do this. I was like, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see, it was just one hand. And I told my brother to jump in the pool and, and, and in, the, in the morning service, the real church, they baptized five people, but I wanted to do better than that church. So I baptized my brother 10 times and at, at, at times my prayer was so powerful. I held him underwater too long and he drank too much of that dirty water, he got sick. So we turned that into a healing service and we, we prayed for healing. I just wanted to serve God. I wanted to be a pastor so bad. I remember, re, you know, I said to my brother, we need to have an ordination service. And I read in the Bible, Samuel anointed David with oil. I thought we need to have an ordination service. So one afternoon while my mum was asleep, I took my assistant pastor into the kitchen and I said, kneel down. And I opened the pantry and I took some oil. But it also said that Samuel poured the whole oil on David. So I said to him, I anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I poured the whole, whole can of oil and it just went everywhere. My mom woke up and she came into the kitchen. I don't know about the UK, in Sri Lanka, you're allowed to smack kids. So my mom walked in and there was oil everywhere. I'll tell you, I didn't get a smack. I got more than a smack. The pastor was smacked by his mother. Let me tell you, I looked at my mother and I wanted to anoint her. There was an evil spirit. Oh, woman, thou art loosed. There was a time we had an Easter production. I always wanted to be Jesus. So my congregation of eight and our three dogs and my cousins, I was Jesus. They tied me to the cross, to the window. They were the Roman soldiers. Let's say the Roman soldiers got carried away. I got a good beating. And I said my final words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And I died. But then one of my cousins got a revelation. He said, it said that Jesus hung on the cross naked. So they pulled my pants down while I hung on the cross. Our Easter production had a different ending where Jesus cried out to his mom, 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 Lloyd's pulled my pants down. 
My cousins left the room. They said to me, we'll see you in three days. <laughs> the mother of Jesus had to come and pull his pants up and take him down the cross. That's the Boyd Ratnaraja translation. At a young age, a passion for God's consumed me and that's all I ever wanted to do to build God's house. So while I was there, I, I stood on that spot where I received the call from God as a young boy. And, and it was an emotional moment for me. I came back to the hotel and I was thinking, God, you are so good. You took me from where I was to where I am. And I'll never forget what God said to me. God said, Boyd, I didn't take you from where you were to where you are so that you can have a good story, no. I took you from where, I, where you were to where you are now so that you can do what these incredible men of God have done for you. I got to introduce Pastor Luke uh, and, and the other pastor that I used to copy from. Basically, my two spiritual he heroes and my spiritual fathers got to meet one another. And God said to me, you do what they have done for you. You must raise up the next generation. The work must carry on. We don't want church to die when we all die. No, the work must carry on. That's why we must raise up the next generation. We are to be a bridge. The next generation can walk across to fulfill their destiny. That's exactly what I have committed my life to, raising up the next generation. Let me tell you, legacy is not found in, in our buildings or the ministries that we do. True legacy is found in the people that we raise up. True legacy is found in the people that we build. Every leader needs to ask themselves this question, am I gonna, be, am I gonna leave a legacy or a vacancy? Sometime last year, somebody from our church, a lovely older gentleman sent me a text and, he, and, he, and the text said this, I'm leaving the church because the young ones are taking over. When I read that text, it really broke my heart because I thought to myself, he's really missed the whole point of it. Listen carefully. Generations are not determined by age. Generations are determined by mindsets. Let me say that one more time. Generations are not determined by age. Generations are determined by mindset. Let me tell you, when we see the next generation rising up, let's not walk around saying the young ones are taking over. No, that's a wrong mindset. When we, see, when we see the next generation rising up, let's carry a spirit, an attitude where we say the sons and the daughters of the house are rising up. Thank you, God. The sons and the daughters are rising up. The next generation is rising up and no one is threatened by each other. Let me tell you, if we wanna raise up the next generation and if we want them to see, if we wanna see them succeed, it will require us to have new mindsets, new adjustments, new perspectives. They're not gonna use a stick in the new season, they're gonna use a sword, why? Because every generation has to fight its own battle. Here's the third, third point. If we wanna uh, see nations saved, if we wanna raise up the next generation, here's the third commitment that I really believe with all my heart that every leader in this room needs to do, and that is to ask for more. Ask for more, everybody say more. more. In June last year, I took my wife Sharon and our four-year-old son to Sri Lanka for the first time, and while we were there, we got to stay in a beautiful resort in the south, southwest coast of Sri Lanka, and while we were there, I remember one particular morning, I woke up to this very strong, 
a strange smell of paint. I had no idea where it was coming from. We didn't do anything about it, but then we were concerned about our four-year-old son. So we, 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 my wife rang the reception and she, she asked them uh, the, the reason why we were starting to smell paint and what was happening and what was going on. I, I had a bad headache. Uh, and, and they told us the reason why uh, we were smelling paint was because uh, they, they had some of their maintenance staff in the room next door to us and they'd been uh, painting there for a few days. And the receptionist told us uh, they were gonna send somebody with a small bottle of air freshener and he was gonna come and, and, and spray this air freshener and it was gonna take away the smell of paint. And, and we were so excited, welcome to Sri Lanka. We were so excited uh, and, and then this guy comes with a small bottle of air freshener. When he walked into our room, even he was convinced that his l little bottle of air freshener was not gonna get rid of the smell, uh, paint smell. So he said to us, you need to ring the reception again and ask them to move you to another room. So my wife rang uh, the reception again and asked them if we could be moved and, uh, and, um, but, and then they agreed. But I love this, my wife, my beautiful, innocent, non-confrontational, sweet little angel of mine asked for something more. She said, is there any way we can be upgraded? I was just like, that's my girl. You go for it. You ask them. Yeah, you do it. And they said, is there any way we can be upgraded? And, and the reception asked us if we could, if my wife could stay on, on the line while she checked with her boss. And when she was doing that, I went into spiritual warfare mode. I was like, Jesus, if you give us that upgrade, I will serve you in the ends of the earth. Then I thought, no, I do live in the ends of the world. Uh, uh, and my four-year-old son, he went into spiritual warfare mode. Even the guy with the bottle of air freshener, he went into spiritual mode. I was like, God, please. And, and then I love this. The, the, the staff member came back and, and, and she said to us, we're not gonna just upgrade you. We're gonna give you the best room in the entire hotel with the best view, all for no extra cost. I believe with all my heart we got that upgrade simply because my wife had the audacity to ask for more. God wants to say to every leader here today, ask for more. Ask for more. Impossibilities become realities when someone has the audacity to ask God for more, believe for more. If I could ask the worship team to come and join me. Do you mind standing to your feet for a moment? Our God is able to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is, work, that is at work within us. In a moment, we're gonna pray. I want us to take this next few minutes very seriously. Let's ask God for this nation. Let's ask God for the nations of this world. Let's ask God for church planters, business leaders, children's pastors, youth pastors, business leaders, every, every leader that we need in our churches. Let me tell you, let's ask God for the next generation who will do things we've never done before. I want everyone in this room to live our lives in a way according, uh, according to the words of C.S. Lewis. My prayer is that when I die, all hell rejoices that I'm out of the fight. We're in a battle. There's a battle going on for our nations, for the nations of this world, for our children, for our homes, our marriages, our churches. We're in our battle. God is calling us to pick up the sword. He's telling us, 
He wants us to remind ourselves this morning that he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. God is calling people to pick up the sword and to step into your calling. Let me do two things very quickly this morning. If you're here today and you're saying, Boyd, I'm asking for more, I wanna pray for you, right? If you're here today and you're saying, God, I need new strategies. I need new mindsets. I'm asking for the next generation. I'm asking you for, for nations. I'm asking you for more. Our God is a God of more. If you're here today and you're saying, I, I'm asking for renewed vision, renewed passion. Lord, I'm asking you for boldness. I'm asking you for confidence. God, I'm asking you for new wine, new power. God wants to say to somebody here today, the promise still stands. It's time to pick up the sword and to step into your calling. If that is you, would you mind quickly raising your hand? I wanna pray for you wherever you are. God, I pray for every hand that is raised in this place right now. Holy Spirit, will you move in this place? Will you move from the front to the back, left to the right? Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. You are welcome in this place. I pray for strategies. I pray for new methods. I pray for confidence. I pray for boldness in the name of Jesus. I come against discouragement. I pray for renewed hope, renewed vision. I come against, come against distraction. I pray for clarity right now in the name name of Jesus. God, we ask you for more. We ask you for nations. We ask you for the next generations. We ask you for sons and daughters to rise up in our churches, in our nations, and to influence the nations of this world. We ask you in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. In the next few minutes that we have, I, I just felt this morning to do this. Last night, when we sang about the name of Jesus for a moment, I looked around and I thought, wow, look at the nations of this world here. And then when we brought all those national leaders here on this platform and I looked at the nations again, and I thought, man, this is what heaven's gonna be like. This is what heaven is gonna be like. Let me tell you, it's not by accident that we are here today with all the nations gathered under this room. Let me tell you, over the next few seconds, we're gonna worship the Lord, but this is what I want us to do. I want us to lift up the name of Jesus. Every nation coming together, lifting up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Let me tell you, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. And at the sound of His name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. If I hand it back, this is what I want us to do. Over the next 30, 60 seconds, this is what I want us to do. I want us to shout out, declare, proclaim every nation represented in this room. And we're gonna give Jesus the biggest praise. And I'm praying that as we do that, the worship from here, the name of Jesus being lifted up from Harrogate will go to the nations of this world, will touch heaven and change earth. So on the count of three, I want us to lift up the name of Jesus. You can jump, you can shout, you can cry, you can whisper on the count of three. We're gonna give Him the highest praise. Demons tremble at the mention of His name. Mountains tremble, darkness tremble. One, two, three. Come on, come on. 
Jesus. We love you, Lord. We adore you. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you ready to come boldly before his throne of grace and say, I want more. I want the next generation. I want this nation. Come on.